Welcome to another episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Honor. How are you today? Wonderful. It's summer is coming in Switzerland. The weather is super sunny but cold. How is it in nice. Singapore? Well, in Singapore, the summer is always here anyway. There's only two seasons, really. Either it's hot and hot and wet. And today <laughs> seems to be the hot and hot and not so wet weather. Today, we are going to talk about retention and loyalty. I remember that in one of our chats, you had mentioned the study that you guys have done at RGA. What was that study about? I think it had something to do with loyalty. Yes, absolutely. So we essentially surveyed over 16,000 consumers across different categories, marketers, as well as some industry experts, and really spoke about what matters to people these days when it comes to sort of loyalty. And essentially boils down to, especially in Asia Pacific, which is the part of the study that I really covered the most, is that a lot of traditional loyalty programs were always focused on the transactional side of things. Mm -hmm. So how do we create systems where people buy more, essentially? Mm -hmm. And when we surveyed customers and when we looked at the results and the findings, actually, that's not what they're looking for. That's People are not looking for that. People are looking for help when they need it most. And people are looking for brands to really take care of them in the moments, especially right after they've bought something. So mm -hmm. really, really interesting findings from that perspective. This is a great segue into my biggest gripe with the word loyalty, because when you talk about loyalty, it implies that people are loyal to brands the same way they are loyal to their partners or their friends. But in reality, what we are really talking about is retention from the perspective of the company. How do you keep a customer happy so that they don't really consider buying other products or switching to other products? That's it. It's not about having that irrational love, right? Yeah, although there are probably a few brands in the world where people have some irrational relationships with. <laughs> I think <laughs> marketers honest, love to believe that all the companies, all the products have the potential to be become, but I think if we yeah. really sit down and But there, there's only a few, really, if you think about it. Like Apple is probably one of them. Like there's only a few, really, but I, I want to talk much more actionably to newer companies and, and more like the startups of the world and really looking at uh, the retention side of things and what we can help kind of uncover, I guess. And that's what this study that we did was, I thought was really, really helpful because it does look at how do you essentially help people when they need help? How do you take care of people and provide them the support to better be able to use the products and services they've just bought or make the most out of them either right after they bought or right when they need help? Because one of the things that we found actually is that a lot of companies focus on convenience focus on what's the easiest way to buy, like one-click purchases and things like that. But essentially, when we asked all these consumers and all these customers this, communication was far more important than convenience. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to reach the person or reach somebody who knows how to help you at the right moment in time, or if you're proactively given some tips on how to use the product or service you bought better, you're far more likely to buy from that company and that brand again, rather than if it was easy to buy from them. It's almost going back to marketing 101, the thing that they teach in school, which is it costs 10 times to acquire a new customer than to keep an existing one, right? And the question yeah. is, like, how do you keep existing customers happy so that you don't have to keep acquiring new ones? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, especially I can look at things from an Asia-Pacific perspective, having spent a considerable amount of time here. A lot of companies focus so much of their efforts on things being very, very seamless for you, right? So mm -hmm. seamless customer experiences, all that type of stuff. But in the study that we did, 76% of people or respondents in APAC 
basically say that they expect seamless customer experiences anyway. It's become so table stakes. The expectation isn't, yeah, it's table stakes, basically. It's the, it's the baseline, basically. You have to have that in place. And it's much more important to, um, you know, put more effort into the moment right after somebody buys something. Because imagine you buy a complicated camera, for example, or you buy a complicated accounting software, which is the example that we often use in this podcast. I think if you were given a few tips on how to better use that camera, use that accounting software right after you bought it and right after you started using the product, that would be something that might make you look at the company or the brand much more positively rather than if we made it really easy for you to buy that product. You know, if you mm-hmm. need the product, you're going to buy it, whether it's easy or not. But being able to use it better and essentially get more value out of that service when you know how to use it a little bit better may keep you with the company a little bit longer. Another counterintuitive tip I have on this is from the get-go, eliminating the type of customers that wouldn't be right for your product upfront. If you are selling a super complicated piece of machinery, for example, or a piece of software and targeting pro users, whereas your advertising is attracting beginners, then you will have a problem later on with the churn. And the cost that you spend on acquiring those customers is going to be wasted. So maybe it's better to align your entire positioning and communication and onboarding experience to the type of customers that you are trying to attract and retain rather than be all things to everyone. Yeah, it comes down to the positioning, which we've spoken about in some of our previous episodes, right? Positioning mm-hmm. and who the absolute best customer for us would be. But it also, I think that's a really good introduction into retention because the way that you would retain pro customers, for example, or pro users is probably very different than entry-level users and the kind of content that you need to give to people because you also can't take it for granted what some of your users might know already. It can become really frustrating if you're already a very advanced user of a, a digital product and then you get given the very one-on-one tips that you already knew. Yeah. And I guess, I, I, I guess you know. I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that in the reverse. I'm a one-on-one user for most things and I get advanced tips. I get really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about retention in the context of startups and minimizing churn. Because one problem, one metric that all startups focus on is how can we reduce churn? But the problem is no matter which line of business that you are in, you are going to have a certain amount of churn. It's inevitable. People are going to stop using your product. Their company might cease to exist. They might find a better alternative. So uh, what can you do to minimize that churn or on a broader level should even focus on minimizing that churn in the first place or just accept it as a fact of life? Well, I think there's a certain level of accepting it as a fact of life. As you rightfully pointed out, there's no such thing as zero churn. I mean, every company in the world is going to lose customers at some point, and that's fine. I think it's also healthy, I guess, in some way. But I think it really comes down to a couple of things. One is, what does the experience feel like when you've just bought something? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I would sort of investigate and ask that question. Whether it's a product or a service, what is my experience after I bought? Because again, so much of marketing at the moment is focused on the acquisition side of the equation. What can we do to get people to buy? Hmm. And then a lot of the budgets and a lot of the efforts end there. Like what what are the programs? What's the first email I'm getting? What's the experience? Is someone going to call me? Is whatever it may be, you know, 
depending on the line of business. Actually, you can see this in physical products and the popularity of YouTube videos about unpacking, unboxing videos, yeah. But it's like, the, what's your unboxing video, right? What, what would your unboxing video look like? And what would get people really excited about unboxing something? So whether it is the packaging or whether it is the product being so you know, amazing that people anticipate it for the product itself? Or is it, in fact, the first customer service touchpoint that proactively gets given to me right after I've bought? Because I think that's the best way for you to show that your brand and your company really cares. It wasn't just a sale. They actually care about whether I know how to use this product to its maximum potential. Mm -hmm. And showing people you care at that first moment is, is really critical. Because another thing that we found in this study was that when people are already having issues with their product, perhaps it's early usage, perhaps it's signing up, perhaps it's whatever that may be. If they then struggle to find support to help you with that problem, the actual problem and the actual feelings of negativity compound exponentially. Mm -hmm. So there's a moment in time in there where you can either amplify a positive experience further, Meaning that, okay, I really enjoy the product that I just bought from you, but here's a proactive tip on how to use it better. Just that, just one example of it. You can be more creative about what that proactive amplification could be. Or you can turn a more negative first experience into very positive if you provide the right help at the right moment in time in channels where customers prefer to receive that. There's nothing worse than buying something, especially high ticket item stuff. You don't know how to use it or there's a problem and you can't solve it. It's really, really frustrating. I think that's a fantastic point, especially when you talk about providing people the support they want at the right channels that they need it. And yeah. one thing that startups, I think, can and should do is to make sure that they cater to not only people who are interested in picking up the phone and talking to a human being, but also catering to people who just want to self-serve. And I don't see this happening as much as it should be putting up an FAQ on your website or a knowledge base or having a centralized set of resources or having a email automation sequence where it over the sequence of a few days teaches you how to use the product. I think giving all these options or laying these options on the table for your customers is probably a good idea to cast a wide net and cater to as many different type of customers as possible. Absolutely. And this is also why a lot of the startups that focus on something digitally focused uh, can play a real advantage because looking at the data and the usage of how somebody uses your product or service can give really good clues on what type of help or tips or something like that they might be actually looking for. We often speak about personalization and how creepy it can be in the acquisition phases, right? A lot of these topics about how did this particular platform know that I'm interested in this product when I've never been on their website or clicked on it or anything like that. But after you buy something, you kind of accept the fact that, all right, they probably know like what kind of a user I am or how I use the product. And that type of thing can really be used to provide the, the content and the tips and the help and the, at a certain points in time. And I think that could be really, really powerful when you use it right. As great as it sounds in theory, I think in practice, very few companies are able to do it well. They yeah, absolutely. And are super generic about it. That's the opportunity, right? So let's wrap this up. Well, like what are the things that startups can do when it comes to retaining existing customers and getting helping them get the most out of the products and services? In my mind, the number one thing is first do what you say you are going to do and get out of the way. I think sometimes there's a problem when companies try to do 
so much and it becomes a little bit pushy. There's all these cross-sell and upsells that just keeps bombarding you with messages. And it just becomes frustrating. I bought a product to do something and I want that product to do it really well and I want to forget about it. And actually, when we talk about loyalty, if you replace the word loyalty with habit, it becomes much clearer. Because what you're really trying to do is to form a habit so much so that people will not even consider switching to different products. So I think a healthy way of looking at it is how can we build a habit so that people won't consider? What other ways do you think it might be beneficial for startups? Building on the habit point, what's really interesting is uh, I work with clients over the years and every industry, every product has like a habit threshold. Mm -hmm. I was working for um, a gas station brand over this. It's just an example that for some reason pops in my mind. And because of the proximity of gas stations to where you live, it on average takes seven visits to a particular gas station to ensure you basically that's your gas station now. So that's building a habit, right? So figure out what your gas station metric is for your company and use that as a way to do it. Perhaps it's how many times I use the software or how many times I use the product or how many times I buy something that's a recurring purchase. And then that becomes a habit. So that's a really good way for you to, to look at your own data and see when, when that habit starts to occur. I think Facebook was famous with their example of getting people to have 15 friends in 15 days or something along those lines. They figured out early on that if you acquire a certain number of friends or get connected to a certain number of people in the early days of signing up for a Facebook account, then your likelihood to stay on Facebook increases significantly. But of yeah. course, Facebook is a bit of an extreme example. Another super actionable tip is don't screw up. And I think this shouldn't go without saying, but companies screw up in the smallest of things. And all these create negative experiences that erode that so-called loyalty that you are trying to build, and it results in churn. And the easiest way to combat with that is to look at your entire experience of being a customer with your company and using that product. and Look at the potential points where you might screw up and proactively eliminate them. This is very counterintuitive because you are not going out of your way and nobody's going to get a bonus because they didn't screw up. But <laughs> I think that this, in the grand scheme of things, contributes to growth possibly more than focusing on acquiring customers aggressively. Yeah, I think the, the other areas is go out of your way to enable help for people. In a world where automated machine or phone respondent systems where you can never speak to anybody and things like that are have become the norm, find ways to really service people when they need the help because I think that's where the frustration comes in. You can still tackle probably 90% of the things through online helps or communities or whatever that may be, but those 10% or the 5% when you really need to talk to someone, Make sure you really get to talk to someone and really, really get the help because there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to do that. And it is a competitive advantage for startups because most big companies can't or won't afford to do that. Exactly. So this is an easy way to differentiate from everybody else on the market. Yeah. Well, hopefully this was a useful episode. Thanks a lot to our listeners. And thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much, Honor. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. 
please drop us an email at hello at strategyandsourdough.com with any questions, suggestions, or feedback on this episode. 